Good morning, Pathway Church. You guys should be feeling really good this morning. Extra hours sleep, you know. Uh, I'm not worried about you guys. I'm worried about second service because they're going to think it's lunchtime when it's just getting started, you know, so that that may be a problem. But you guys just got extra sleep. That's great. I want to remind you of your right to vote uh, on Tuesday if you haven't already done so. It's an incredible privilege we have in this country. I know it's a very divided time in our nation, but this I know. Uh, Every two years, I vote. Uh, You know, there's some elections in between there. But every day, we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's over all and in all and through all. So whatever happens Tuesday or whenever it happens, God's not wringing his hands. He's not nervous because this is my father's world, and I rest in that thought. Let's pray about that. Father, this morning, we just pray for your peace in this country. Uh, There's so many things that have drawn us apart. We pray that your love will pull us together and that we can focus on Jesus and his love and his grace. That's the answer to all those things that we worry about. So today, Lord, we just come humbly before you asking that you would heal our land in Christ's name. Amen. We're in the next to the last sermon in this door series, and this morning we're talking about stuck doors. How many of you have ever had a door, you know, it kind of swells up, you have to push against it to get it open? Windows are the worst, you know, uh, especially those old wooden windows, they paint over them about 20 times, and, you know, at one time they opened easily, and then all of a sudden they won't open at all, you know. But it's not just doors and windows that get stuck, people get stuck. Sometimes people feel like they're stuck in their marriage. Sometimes they feel like they're stuck in their financial life and they don't see any way out. Sometimes they feel like they're stuck in their jobs. You know, they're just drawing a paycheck, but there's no real joy. There's no real sense of purpose in what you're doing. But the worst kind of stuck, I think, is when we become stuck spiritually. You know, when when we feel like, okay, my, my walk with Christ isn't what it used to be. It's not at the level that I want it to be. You know, uh, there's something that happens to us sometimes as we accept Christ and all of a sudden it becomes routine and uh, instead of uh, adventuresome and, and exciting, our faith becomes routine, our church becomes routine. We are surprised when God shows up and we actually recognize him. There's this tremendous difference in doing things for passion versus obligation. When we do things out of passion, it comes from the heart, right? When we do things out of obligation, it's a duty, something we have to do. You know, I've just got to do that. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who had moved into that duty realm of life. All of his notes were yellowed. Most of his illustrations were 50 years old. And uh, it was obvious that he was going through the motions. He had lost his passion for what he was doing. Now, I realize that we can't always be passionate all the time. Sometimes we do just have to show up. You know, if we only went to church when we felt like it, if we only uh, went to work when we felt like it, uh, that wouldn't be a good thing. Sometimes you, you do things out of duty. Every morning when you wake up with your husband or wife, you don't look at them immediately and say, oh, I'm so in love with this person. 
especially if they snored all night. You know, that, that's, that's, you know so sometimes you do things uh, out of duty. I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, but if our lives become primarily duty and obligation, then we're missing the big picture of what God wants to do with us and, and how he wants to use us. Our lives could have so much more impact than they're actually having. How is it that some Christ followers are able to go through really difficult things and it doesn't seem to, to stop their passion for God? You know, I meet people all the time who say, Pastor, well, if you knew what I was going through, you'd understand why. But then I know other people who are going through things worse and they're growing in their faith. What's the secret to that? I have a good friend, her name is Tina. And she was a homecoming queen in high school, beautiful girl. But right after she graduated from high school, she uh, discovered she had rheumatoid arthritis. And it's had a huge impact on her body. It's changed her appearance. Uh, her fingers are all crippled. And the first time I met Tina, she was on her 19th sur surgery. Uh, this was many years ago. Uh, she and her husband, Ray, were in ministry. Ray's a wonderful preacher, pastor, and Tina was a children's pastor. And today, she's still a children's pastor, just not in a church. She writes curriculum, teaches children's pastors all around the country, just a pretty amazing person. And what struck me about Tina was as she's going through all this tough stuff, she's got this joy for Christ that's so alive and, and so real. And I remember uh, thinking, how does she do that? Well, she just went through her 65th surgery, which was the most difficult one. And I'll let her tell you the story. Hi there. I want to invite you today to celebrate with me on my one-year anniversary. Yeah, one year ago today, I went in for my 65th surgery and came out without my right leg. And I just wanted to take a minute to share with you some things about this last year. It's been a year of physical pain. It's been a year of emotional ups and downs. Uh, it's been a year of spiritual lessons. And it's just been a year of a lot of figuring out things like where do I fit? What am I going to be able to do? Uh, am I still going to be able to be silly grandma to my three grandkids? Uh, how do I fit into kid men at the local and the national level? So lots of that going on. A year ago, I was told that I had no chance of having a prosthetic leg. And yesterday, I chased three active grandkids around my house for five hours, upright, without a wheelchair. Yay! <laughs> you know, it's been a year of confirming God's faithfulness in my life. And the other thing that I've learned is how important you are. So many of you, hundreds and hundreds, I mean, over a thousand, sometimes, of the Facebook comments I get are support from you guys, encouraging me, telling me to keep on just loving on me when I needed it. And so today, I just want to say thank you for getting me through this year, and thank you for celebrating one full year without this leg, <laughs> and one full year 
another full year of following God in his faithfulness. When I hear people, yeah. When I hear people like Tina, uh, it drives me to my knees because I want to say, God, that's the kind of walk I want to have. That's the kind of uh, courage I want you to give me so that my life can impact others. So this morning, I want to begin by talking to folks, both Christians and maybe those who have not yet made their decision to follow Christ, about feeling stuck in your spiritual life. Maybe it's not going so bad. It's just that you can't honestly say, hey, this year I'm a lot stronger, I'm a lot closer to Jesus than I was five years ago, you know? Maybe you're still dealing with the same stuff, you know? You're always going to be dealing with stuff, but it ought to be different stuff as you grow in Christ and as you become more what he wants you to be. How do we change? How do we get unstuck? How do we become that vibrant person like Tina we heard this morning? My preaching professor in seminary was Dr. Fred Craddock. And when he was a student pastor, he pastored in Custer, Oklahoma. Custer, Oklahoma is close to Washita Creek where uh, the Indian chief Black Kettle and most of the women and children in his tribe were attacked early in the morning by Custer and his troops. And that kind of led to the Battle of Little Bighorn a few months later. Many, many people killed. They named the town Custer. And it's interesting, uh, there was 450 people in this town, and there were four churches in the town. There was a Methodist church, there was a Baptist church, there was a Nazarene church, and there was a Christian church. And Fred was the pastor of the Christian church. But there was also another gathering in the town that was actually more... uh, consistent than any of the churches and that was the little town's cafe and all the guys who uh, didn't go to church gathered there on Sunday mornings and the the head uh, deacon of that church was a guy named Fred who was 77 years old and he was a farmer and everybody said Fred will never go to church every once in a while they would lose some members at that church because a wife or the kids would talk dad into going to church and he would sheepishly leave but not Fred. They said, Fred will never give in. So when Fred Craddock came to, to town, he, was gonna, he met Fred walking down the street. And before he could say a word, Fred goes, preacher, I want to tell you something. I work hard. I take care of my family. I mind my own business. As far as I'm concerned, everything else is just fluff. And Fred goes, okay. (laughs) Basically, he was saying, preacher, I'm not a candidate for your church. And so the whole cafe was shocked. They couldn't figure it out when Fred went to Pastor Craddock and asked if he could be baptized. And they're going, what's going on? Fred's 77. Maybe he's got a heart problem. Maybe he's, he's, he's afraid to meet his maker We never thought Fred would give in. There were all kinds of stories going around this little town. But this is what Fred said to Pastor Craddock. He said, remember when, uh, Pastor Craddock said, remember Fred when I used to 
meet you and, and you would say to me, Pastor, remember, I work hard, I take care of my family, I mind my own business. I said, yeah, I remember that. He goes, do you still say that? He goes, yeah, I do. Then what's different since your baptism? He goes, before I didn't understand what my business was. I didn't know what my business was. Do you know what your business is this morning? Do you know what the main thing is in your life? Do you understand this morning that there's a battle going on for your heart? There's a blood feud that divides Christ's domain from the world's domain, and the crossing point is the cross. God is calling us to follow him, and the reality is many Christians are pretty anemic. They're stuck. This morning, I want us to begin to explore how we can become unstuck in our walk with Christ. Sometimes, uh, instead of growing closer to Him, we're growing more distant from Him. Sometimes, there's a danger of learning God talk and not talking to God. You know, that happens. We come to church and we sing and maybe we even take some notes about the sermon. But somehow, the emotions we feel in church disappear by the time we hit the parking lot. The result is, there's a weariness of the soul. We're tempted to sleep instead of praying. We sometimes boast or gripe about things that are totally gifts that God gives us. We're loose-lipped about the secrets of others, and we're tight-lipped about the good news of Jesus Christ. We simply lack the joy that we know ought to be a part of our walk with God. The reality is, most of us resist change. We don't like change. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard for us. And I've watched people continue to do things that are harmful and difficult simply because it's easier to do that than to change. I remember talking to a woman, and she was telling me that uh, when people hurt her, what she does is she just cuts everybody off. She just kind of goes into a shell. And I said, does that work for you? She goes, well, it works for a little while. It keeps the pain at bay for a little while. Psychologists tell us that change is painful, but I don't have to go to a psychologist to know that. You know that. Pain is, uh, change is painful. Remember the first time you, you went to school? Now, for some of you, that's going to that's be a hard memory. But yeah. there, were, there were no familiar faces, no familiar routines. We have uh, three of our grandchildren are starting in new schools this year, and it's fun talking to them about that first day. They were petrified. Who can you count on? Who can you trust? Even at church, you come for the first time and everybody's standing around laughing and talking and, and you're wondering, what do I do? What are they going to ask me to do? Will I be embarrassed? Change can be, change can be painfully frightening to all of us. Change is so painful that usually people won't change unless staying where you are is more painful than changing. Let me give you an example. The doctor says, if you keep eating eggs and sausage and biscuits and gravy, you are going to have a heart attack or you are going to have a stroke. Yeah. So you change or you die. Now, let me tell you, when you're eating oatmeal and the whole world is eating sausage and gravy, that's really hard. But you got to decide what's more important, the sausage and gravy or, or living, you know? 
Our spiritual doctor also has something to say to us. The way you're living your life, the walk you're taking is not going to produce the dreams that I truly have for you. It's not going to happen. You need to change. We sometimes refer to change as uh, the process of moving out of our comfort zones. You know, we have some areas of our life where we feel very comfortable. And God just has this wonderful sense of humor. He goes, I'm not going to leave you there. I've got an adventure for your life. The call of Christ is always to come and follow me. And that's a risk. Over the years, I've taken over 300 people on missions trips to places like Jamaica and Dominican Republic and Honduras and Ecuador. And on those trips, I always talk to these people, and it's their first trip, and I always say, okay, what I want you to do is do what they do. Don't try to teach them. Learn from them. And it's out of your comfort zone. Uh, they worship different than you worship. Just be a part of what's going on here. And let me know where you see the face of Jesus today. And, and you know, it's kind of scary for them at first to, to walk into a new culture and a new place. What is it that moves us out of our comfort zones? What gives us the courage to loosen our grip on possessions and relationships and schedules? We learn uh, a lesson in John chapter 3. I want to read it. It's a familiar story. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. Now, in this story, we learn some things about Nicodemus that are important. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling religious class. He knew the Bible. Pharisees knew the Bible. They knew the rules. He knew all the commandments. He tried to keep all the commandments plus all the other rules that the Pharisees had made up, some 6,000 of them. But there was something missing with Nicodemus. He was stuck. There was no vitality. There, were, there was no excitement. No sense that God was more than just an intellectual exercise. His spiritual life consisted of a very familiar routine. He went to the synagogue. He said some prayers. He read some scripture. He gave some money. And he went home. There was little connection between his head and his heart. And then he hears Jesus talk, and it rocks his world. He talked about a God who was alive. He talked about someone that you had a personal relationship with. It's the difference in just going to church and worshiping a, a living God. So Nicodemus is so moved that he's willing to take a risk. It's a little risk. He goes to see Jesus at night to talk to him. But Jesus welcomes him in. 
please understand this. Jesus is always ready to meet us at whatever level of risk we're willing to give. You say, well, I can't trust that much. Well, trust a little. Take the first step. He'll meet us at whatever level of risk we're really willing to offer. But notice Jesus' words to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. It's his way of saying you must face the truth about yourself. Our first step in getting unstuck in our spiritual walk is we have to be honest. We have to be honest with ourselves. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled, says, because of the pain of being honest, we often opt out of lives, opt out in our lives to being limited in our honesty. Have you ever heard someone say, he's set in his ways? <laughs> Maybe they said that about you, you know. <laughs> it means the person who's set in his ways, they're not, they're not open to new information. They've already decided, I've got my comfortable world, don't mess it up with all that new stuff going on. You know? That's a form of dishonesty. Or you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That means some of us as we grow older, and sometimes even when we're younger, we become very inflexible. The gospel of Jesus opens us up. It says you must be born again. Isn't that the ultimate challenge to our comfort zones? You've got to start over. It begins with being honest. So how honest are you this morning? Are we honest about our spiritual walk? We say the right words, but how intimate is our walk with Jesus? You know, and he knows. Are there parts of our lives that although we don't formally say it, we suspect are off limit to God? That house. Oh man, I wanted that house all my life. Finally got it. That friendship, the approval of my parents, the good life we live, that retirement package, the recognition of others. Those are a few areas that we tend to hold tightly in our hands. The Lord calls us to break from our comfort zones because he has a bigger dream for us. He has a bigger plan for us. So don't wrap your fingers too tightly around what you've been given. And after taking an honest look at where you are, we have to become unstuck in our walk with Christ with a second step. And the second step is overcoming the obstacle of fear. I thought it was interesting we sang about fear this morning. Fear will keep you in the circle of the predictable and the comfortable. It will. In Egypt, the Hebrews lived as slaves. And when they finally were set free, the miraculous trip through the sea and, and how God brought them out, in Numbers chapter 12 and 13, they finally get to the promised land. Whew. They send in some people to check it out. They come back and say, there's giants there. And they got scared. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. At least there we know we're going to get fed. We're not going to get killed. We're going to live and die as slaves. And they begin to long for the familiarity of Egypt. They hated Egypt. I mean, people all the time say, oh, it was so good back there. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you just think it was. Or we make it sound better than it is. Fear does strange things to people. It often keeps us from experiencing God's best in our lives. 
Maybe that's what's so scary about Jesus. Mark Buckman writes, we don't entrust ourselves to Jesus because we half know what's in the man. Jesus is not fickle, but he's unpredictable. God is on the loose through him. We don't mind the magician's tricks, water into wine, breadcrumbs and fish bones into a banquet, lame men into dancers, mute ones into minstrels. But those field marshaled commands of Jesus, follow me, we can do without. The result is, in Buckman's words, we choose a safe life rather than a great life. A safe life rather than a great life. And the third step of getting unstuck is focusing on Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, a young man who's done well, he's an entrepreneur, he's, he's made some money, and he goes to see Jesus because he feels stuck. You know, I'm keeping all the commandments, my life is just not real, it's not what it should be. And so he goes to Jesus and, and he asks, what do I need to do to be saved? Now, Jesus doesn't give everybody the same instructions. Have you noticed that? Some people, he says, I want you to go back to where you came from and tell the people. And sometimes he says, come and follow me. He doesn't tell everybody to give up their possessions, but he knows this man's possessions are what is most important to him. And so he says, what I want you to do, I want you to get the one obstacle out of your life that's keeping you from experiencing me in my totality. So go sell all of you have and come follow me. And the scriptures say, the young man went away sadly. If only Jesus would settle for pieces of our hearts. You know, I'll give, I'll give you some, you know. If he would only settle for pieces of our hearts. But he insists on being the focus, the center of it all. Last year, I was in Indiana, and uh, I'm from Kentucky, and we're big in basketball. But when it comes to high school basketball, I've got to give it to the Hoosiers. Man, those guys, every barn's got a goal outside, and there's, it, it could be 20 degrees outside, and they're out there shooting basketball, you know. So if you remember the movie Hoosiers, Gene Hackman played the coach of this little tiny school in Indiana, and uh, he's got the guys together for their first practice, and they're doing defensive drills, and they're scooting back and forth, and they're doing all kinds of passing drills, and finally one of the kids goes, when do we get to shoot? This isn't fun. And his famous line was, my practices are not designed to be fun. They're designed to help you compete in the games. In a similar way, we sometimes always want God to be fun. We always want things to work out the way that we hoped it would and for God to take down all the barriers in our lives and just make it so smooth and so great. And yet sometimes God wants us to Go through life on one leg. Just ask Tina. Can you praise me now? He's not always safe. And his desire is not so much to make you happy, but to make you holy. He's more concerned about preparing you for eternity than for retirement. To do what requ that requires sometimes kindness and sometimes sternness. Our God's not always safe. But our God is always good. He's always good. Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses, very familiar story. Jesus is calling some disciples, Peter, James, and John. 
They've been fishing all day, caught nothing. He gets in their boat and they go out. And he says, uh, cast out your nets one more time. Now, if you've ever gone out in a boat fishing and you didn't get a bite all day, and there's always some joker that says, I, I want to throw one more before we go. Well, since it's never my boat, I have to go, sure, you might catch something. We haven't caught anything for six hours, but yeah, go ahead, throw it one more time. You know, that's kind of how they were feeling. Jesus goes, you know, it's not an easy thing wrapping all those nets up. Cast them out one more time. And when it happens, the boat is overflowing. The nets are overflowing with fish. The interesting thing is Peter's response. Listen to what he says in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, it's tempting for us to, to take that at face value. You know, he, he's discovered who Jesus is, and now he's feeling really unworthy of Jesus. But he's already seen who Jesus was. In chapter 4 of Luke, he's at Simon's house, and he heals his mother-in-law, and he heals all kinds of people there. So he's already seen Jesus is awesome. But there's something different this time. He looks into Jesus' eyes, and it scares him because he realizes that he's not calling Peter to make Peter's life better or to fatten Peter's wallet. He's calling him to follow me. He sees it in his eyes. And he must know that follow me. Why does it always mean leave everything? The fish, the boat, the nets, the safety, the security, the prospects, leave everything. So Peter falls on his face and says, Jesus, depart from me. I'm not worthy, and I don't want to do this. Yeah. I love what Buckman says about this. He says, somebody's got to leave. Either Peter leaves everything or Jesus leaves Peter. Wow. I was talking to a friend who's given up a lot to follow Christ. I mean, a lot. And he said to me, I can't go back. But more importantly, I don't want to ever go back to how life used to be. You see, when God calls you to follow him, when Jesus calls you to follow him, it's not to punish you. It's to open up your life to his great purpose and adventure. It's the most exciting thing you will ever do. Isn't it interesting that most of the time when we come and ask Jesus to help us is when we're in trouble? When our marriage is sick? When our child is sick? When we just lost our job? Most folks don't ask Jesus if they should take the promotion or what should I do with this big bonus they just gave me at work. You know, we don't ask him about that. We have little interest in knowing God's will for our windfalls, it's for our downfalls that we want his advice. We want to be rescued, not bothered, comforted, not disturbed. We want a God who follows us, but he's a God who asks us to follow him. To get unstuck requires some radical leaving on our part. Well, we can go on doing what we've always done, but somehow if we fail to answer his call, our lives become a little sadder. Our walk with God becomes more in our head and 
less in our heart. And our following becomes more of a routine than an adventure. When we ask Jesus to depart from us like Peter did, what we're doing is we're accepting mediocrity in our walk. And the mediocrity in our walk produces disciples who are also mediocre. You know, that's important to understand that. He did not die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. He's not concerned with this moment. He's concerned with eternity. He asks that we follow and how we respond, my friends, makes all the difference, not just for now, but forever. Would you bow your heads with me? For a moment, I want us just to be honest with ourselves. What's our walk with Christ like? Is it more head or heart today? Is it more obedience or duty? Is it more joy or obligation? What are we afraid of? We must refocus our eyes on Christ. We decide to do that. A wonderful adventure begins. It's a journey that one day will end in his presence as he welcomes us into the only life that really matters. Life forever with him. But preparation for that life begins today by saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead me. Father, help us to get honest to face our fear and to keep our focus on Jesus and to follow you wherever you lead us. In Christ's name, amen. As we sing this morning, if God's calling you to follow, to step closer, to go from less from head and more from heart, this is a good place for you to come and pray. His Spirit's here today as he calls you. Lord, I will not fear the storm. 
this morning. Sing it out. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. faithfulness. Thank you that you are a God that will never fail us. You are a God that always wants relationship out of us and wants to go before us and walk with us through every situation, every scenario we face. May our trust in you increase because of how faithful and good you've been to us, but more so because of who you are. Oh, may your nature, may your character, may we believe it, may we trust it. May we know that you are God and that we are your child. Thank you, Lord, for doing a new thing in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you, church.